please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome to Morning Espresso. Today is Wednesday, the 14th of April. If you'd like to listen to this episode in a different language, we offer the interpretation button below at the bottom of your screen. But let's go to our first guest today. We have Harry Granquist, ESG specialist in Nordea's Responsible Investment Team. Good morning, Harry, how are you? Hey, Carla, I'm doing fine, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. So look, I think we have really heard a lot about this in news lately, and I think it's something that uh, a lot of uh, clients ask us about. So can you tell us what is the Net Zero Asset Managers uh, Initiative and where we fit in that? Yeah, sure. So uh, Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, or NZAM as we call it for short, is this, you can think of it as a global coalition of asset managers who are agreeing to work to limit uh, greenhouse gas emissions to effectively reach net zero emissions in, in 2050. So there was actually already uh, an asset owner equivalent of this initiative, but you know there was increasingly this realization that asset managers need to do our part and work together with our, our asset owner uh, clients to achieve these targets. So. So really what it means concretely is that we're saying that we're going to limit uh, the emissions associated with our investments to net zero by 2050. And then there's a, you know, a range of, of uh, milestones and sub-commitments uh, as part of that as well. Um, and I think you know, I would highlight uh, specifically two of those that I think are really interesting for the work we're doing at the moment. And the first of those is, is to you know, also look at the midterm because you know 2050 is, is 30 years away. We, we're also looking at setting a decarbonization target of reducing emissions by 50% in the, in the next decade. And the second um, you know, component here that I think is really interesting is that we're, we're intending to achieve these targets by always focusing on what we call uh, real economy emissions reductions. And, and so what, what does it mean in terms of prioritizing this real economy and emissions reductions? So really what that means is that, you know, when we see the carbon footprint of our investments go down, we always need to ask ourselves, right, when emissions leave our investment portfolios, where do they go? And the best answer to that question should be, well, it should be linked to actual emissions in the real world going down somewhere. So that means, you know, the companies we, we invest in are decreasing their emissions as opposed to, you know, only working with things like sector tilting and, and just changing the composition of your portfolios to, to gain some, some uh, you know, near-term emissions reductions on the portfolio level, but that where you don't actually have that link to what's happening in the real world. Right, and, and I think an important element obviously is being able to track our, our progress against these ambitions. So how will we be able to do that concretely? Right, so, so a lot of the work we do there is, is about you know, continuously analyzing the emissions performance of the companies we invest in and what they're doing to reduce those emissions. But, but really the main vehicle for us to create that transparency around our progress against these targets will be through our, our climate report. And, and we actually just published our inaugural uh, climate specific report recently. Right, and, 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 and by the way, I think it's, it's a great read and we encourage our, our viewers to, to check that out. Uh, it's hosted on uh, nordea.lu uh, and also on the uh, other websites where you uh, can get uh, the report. But what, what else can investors uh, read about in, in this climate report concretely? So um, 
in this report, I mean, there, there are a few elements that I think are going to be really interesting for our clients to read about. And the first of those is actually our own first set of quantitative uh, climate targets. So, so very much in line with the ambition of the Net Zero as a Manager's Initiative, we've now published a set of five uh, climate-specific targets. And the first of which is obviously to reach net zero emissions by 2050, and that's a long-term ambition. But then we also have a set of mid-term goals and uh, short-term goals to sort of stake out the road to net zero. And you'll recognize here the 50% reduction in carbon intensity by 2030. We talked about that just now. Uh, we're also um, working to increase our investments in, in climate solutions. Um, but, you know, I said midterm is, is part of reaching the, the long-term goal, but we also have some more short-term goals for 2025. And these really speak to how we are going to achieve this reduction in carbon intensity. And, and the, the fundamental thinking here is that when we invest in certain sectors like fossil fuels and other high emitting sectors, we really need to start requiring that companies in those sectors have plans for decarbonizing in line with what the Paris Agreement requires. So, so we have a set of targets to cover that as well. But then in addition to, to reading about the targets, there's also some more information about all the five pillars of our climate strategy and what we do within each. There's KPIs related to you know, our carbon performance and our exposure to climate related risks and, and, and quite a few interesting updates on that. So, so quite a lot of good information there for, for our investors to, to get uh, up to speed in what we're doing uh, at Nordea on, on climate uh, uh, initiatives. So a quite, quite important report. Um, the next, so this actually leads re quite uh, nicely into my next question is, so what, what type of companies uh, can we invest in if we want to meet these uh, specific carbon targets that you've mentioned? Yeah, good question. So. I mean, I, I already mentioned that, you know, we, we prefer to have this link to real uh, uh, economy emissions reductions. So that means, of course, that we want to invest in companies that are reducing their emissions. Um, but here it's really important for us to understand that, you know, the companies that are going to reduce their emissions the most, they're also companies who all today have relatively high emissions, right? So we need to not chicken out and, and deselect companies that might have historically high emissions if they are on a very positive decarbonization trajectory. So, so sort of the dynamic here is that if we want to reduce the carbon intensity of our portfolios, then there are really two mechanisms that give us that reduction. One is to sort of the short-term version, which is to work with tilting the sector exposure of a portfolio towards lower carbon sectors. The problem with that is that that doesn't necessarily have this link to you know what the companies in the respective sectors are doing to reduce their emissions because a healthcare company is always going to have lower emissions than an energy company for example so the other mechanism then is to really find these companies that are leading the decarbonization journey within each sector and then you know investing in those companies and deselecting the ones that that don't have this positive forward-looking uh, trajectory Great. And how fast uh, should investors expect uh, the carbon intensity of our strategies uh, to fall in line in, in the next few years? Yeah, so we've actually made quite significant progress uh, against these ambitions already because we've been very active in the past six, 12 months in deselecting fossil fuel companies that aren't reducing their emissions by enough. Um, but at the same time, a lot of these reductions will happen gradually over time because really there are no real world companies that are just going to eliminate all of their emissions uh, overnight. And I think in general, we should be you know, quite skeptical about investors and institutions who reduce their investment carbon footprint very, very quickly, because that almost always means that they're 
you know, they're working more with this sector tilting approach rather than actually finding the decarbonization companies. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Harry, for joining us today. Thanks, Carlo. My pleasure. So now let's go and speak to our uh, special invited guests today. Today we have Sunil George and Henning Padberg, Portfolio Managers of Nordea's Global Disruption Strategy. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Carlo. Good morning. So how are you guys doing? It's pretty cold out here. It seems that spring has decided not to uh, begin here. And you guys? Doing well. It's a bit cold here in Stockholm as well. And you, uh, Henning? It's, it's, it's completely like always in April. It's from hail to rain to sunny. Right now it's sunny and, and cold, but nice and fresh outside. Yeah. Well, look, I'm sure, I'm sure the weather will start uh, to improve very soon. But of course, uh, that's not why our viewers are here today to talk about the weather, but rather what's on everyone's mind. Uh, and in this case, uh, my first question will go to you, uh, Sunil. It's, it's about disruption, right? It's all around us. Uh, but sometimes it's it's quite a little bit you know difficult to come to the actual terminology. So can you tell us a little bit of what is disruption and why is it an investment opportunity in in your view? Great, thanks uh, for the question, Carlo. So disruption, like you say, it's actually it's a buzzword that a lot of companies and a lot of investors use. The original idea of disruptive innovation that came from Harvard Business School uh, professor Clayton Christensen. And I was actually, you know, <laughs> exposed to his work about 15 years ago uh, when I was a management consultant, you know, working on innovation. Uh, and his definition was that, you know, disruptive innovation means either a low-end product uh, that's disrupting uh, an incumbent product that serve, that's over-serving uh, customers or a new market, right? So in this strategy, we actually take a broader view and define disruption not just as a low price product where you, know, you can look at anything from uh, a low priced airline uh, like a Ryanair or an off price retail like a TJX or Pan Pacific, uh, which we have invested in, or um, you know, low price telecom like a Massmobile, but we're also looking at you know, new markets. It could be electric vehicles, for example, or it could be just something that's you know, more convenient or a better product, something like uh, online groceries that you know, people uh, use a company like Delivery Hero, Meituan, for example, to order these online groceries. And it's just more convenient because you're sitting at home and you're, you know, you're getting this and that's disrupting um, an incumbent market. And that's, so we take quite a broad view in the strategy of the way uh, we look at disruption. And why is it, if you go to the next slide, uh, why is it uh, an investment opportunity? Uh, the main point here is that disruption or innovation creates long-term change across different industries. And the market, unfortunately, is not very efficient at, at pricing this because you know, a lot of fund managers, a, a lot of strategies, uh, they focus on short-term earnings and benchmarks and price movement, and the market often underestimates disruption. Uh, the, these products, you know, the, the, the growth of these products and the returns sustain over a long period of time. And in fact, they, they accelerate. If you look at, you know, this slide, and if you look at Netflix, you know, the growth and the adoption accelerates when you hit sort of the sweet spot on the S-curve whereas the market actually fades the growth and these returns down. So this creates sort of an expectations gap. And, and that's sort of what we take advantage of in, in, in the strategy. Um, and Netflix is a great example. 
you know, to be on the right side of change instead of investing in a blockbuster that's, you know, gone, gone bankrupt, uh, that's been on the wrong side of change. So that's sort of the idea uh, why it's an investment opportunity, why you need to be active as an active investor, invest uh, in disruption, because there's, there's often a huge dispersion between some of the winners of the companies on the right side of change and the companies on the wrong side of change. And it's really important for us to be active as we uh, try to identify these winners. And, and certainly not to, to give away my age uh, too much. I do remember going to actual Blockbuster as a, as a, as a young man. And, uh, you know, and I'm also now a, a very happy uh, Netflix user. And no, I was not uh, paid to say that. Uh, but I, if, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, though, I believe also Blockbuster was also uh, given the opportunity to buy Netflix back in the day when it was starting out. So that's uh, an interesting sort of uh, story, sad story for, for Blockbuster, of course, but a, a good one for, for, for Netflix. But I'm actually more excited also to talk to you guys about the fact that you guys now, you know, you're hitting your stride in, in, in this strategy. Uh, you've hit now uh, two years uh, since, since basically you launched it. Why don't you tell me something about what, what, have, you, what have you really learned since, since you launched this strategy? So what, what, have, what are sort of lessons uh, that, that you can take away from there? Thanks, Colin. And the last two years, I mean, it's been a, a big learning period for Henning and myself and, you know, and the strategy and, you know, as you know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, which has, you know, been quite tough for everyone, uh, us included. And what we've seen is that during this pandemic, some of these uh, mega trends that we talk about have actually um, sort of accelerated over the last two years. And, you know, where, I mean, if, you, if we, we talked about food and grocery delivery, right, the consumer, the way the consumer is, you know, consumption has changed. Uh, with stay at home and shelter in place and people are ordering uh, more and more online. And if you look at healthcare, you know, for example, you know, a lot of us had never thought about, uh, you know, ordering prescriptions online or doing uh, telehealth appointments. And, and now if you look at, you know, what's happening globally, um, you know, whether it's a company like Ping On Health in China or Teladoc in the US or one of many companies in Europe, you know, that's a trend that, you know, has accelerated as well. If you look at what we're doing today, we're on a Zoom call and the number of Zooms and Zoom and team meetings, the way, you know, we're working has, you know, completely changed. And, you know, whether it's collaboration software, like, you know, the, the software made by a company like Atlaskin, which we have in the strategy, uh, you know, all of this is changing, whether it's education, entertainment, you're seeing these trends change across not just technology, but different parts of the, of people's lives. And, and that's, you know, sort of a key, uh, so, you know, sort of thing that's happened over the last couple of years, which is sort of the, the time that we've run the strategy. And I can actually be a, a, a sort of a witness to, to this disruption that has happened in the, in the last two years, because we were talking a little bit before, you know, as I was saying before, I, I never used uh, an online uh, doctor consultation. And uh, as obviously because of, unfortunately, because of COVID, I've had to uh, obviously do that. And it's actually been quite a really, really good experience, really easy to do. And, and I think, you know, we're only at the beginning of, of that sort of service being offered. And, and we Today, this morning, we're calling in obviously from Luxembourg and not many of our viewers probably know this about Luxembourg, very tiny country. And I can assure you that before the COVID crisis, getting delivery food from your favorite restaurant home was 
almost impossible and out of this uh, unfortunate situation, a positive benefit has to been seen the, the pop-up of online uh, possibilities for, for delivery. So absolutely, we're living sort of in the midst of this uh, disruption that continues both in, in you know, unfortunate ways, but also some positive uh, outcomes coming from this. So uh, I, I can absolutely agree with uh, what you're saying there, Sunil. Uh, next, uh, I would like to ask you guys, uh, so there's, there's many ESG-focused thematic strategies out there. Uh, can, you, can you tell us about your, uh, what, your investment process and, and, and how it's different? So what, what, if I'm picking you know, in this really full universe of many products and we know that everybody is now uh, very much uh, into, into ESG, what, what makes what you guys do uh, different? Yeah, maybe I can take that, uh, Carlo. Um, I guess, uh, as Sunil laid out, the, the disruptive universe is really very exciting. Lots of opportunities everywhere, and it's a, it's a broad um, um, segment of the market that, that is really uh, um, um, giving you a lot of upside if you, if you pick the right stocks here. Um, important is, of course, also to, to have the right investment process, and that's something which I think is, our, in, in, in our case, uh, quite unique. So we don't run just a thematic or just a tech fund. We run really a process that combines the best of both worlds, the top-down uh, exciting universe of disruptive companies with the bottom-up and ESG analysis that is important to get a product that's uh, generating attractive returns, but also with uh, responsibility, so with a sustainability profile. And uh, this is something that's quite unique for our team, uh, especially the fundamental equities team, that uh, we really embrace sustainability uh, across uh, all our, um, our, our, our team. And we sit in, as you know, in Stockholm and Copenhagen, two locations, um, the fundamental team uh, around uh, 25 people and the, the, the ESG responsible investment team around 15 people and growing. And, and, and we, really, we really, really work together to um, get the best ideas. And that is what Sunil and I are leveraging on in, the, in, the, in creating the disruptive universe. And then also basically uh, boiling it down in the fundamental analysis where we all look at cash flows and are very focused on, uh, on kind of a solid bottom-up analysis um, and combine it with this worldview that we have an international team uh, that's, that's globally oriented. And, uh, and, and basically then in the, in the, in the discipline portfolio um, management process that we have developed also over years uh, by, by especially managing thematic strategies, um, we, we basically boil it down into a portfolio of, 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 uh, of winners here. Um, and I think here it's something where experience matters. And as, you, as, as Sunil mentioned, uh, he has looked at disruptive trends for, for many, many years. I've looked at especially climate environment trends for many, many years. Um, but this experience is important to um, also navigate the boom and busts that we see, especially in a, in a disruptive uh, universe. Um, and if you look at how we have defined the universe, um, if you go to the next slide, um, basically we have tried to um, um, lay it out uh, very broadly to capture all opportunities and also allow the portfolio to um, 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 generate attractive returns without the, the drawdown. So try to get a lot of the upside, but also try to have uh, a discipline around the risk. Um, and here, as Sunil mentioned, we have uh, strategies in, in all areas from low-cost consumers to health uh, solution providers to this whole area of, of green efficiency, sustainability solutions, uh, financial disruptors, 
or enabling technologies like simulation software that's going across, that's basically used in, in, in all kinds of uh, verticals. And uh, I think uh, what differentiates us probably to many other uh, tech or innovation disruption funds that, that uh, we try to uh, give you also the E and the S, so the, the environment sustainability area and also the, the social component, the people component, where there are as many solutions uh, um, um, as, uh, as in the other areas. And, 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 and of course, technology is often an enabler, but it's not the only thing. Um, and we believe that, um, that disruption in the end of the day has also positive impact uh, uh, on, uh, on society. But of course, it's important to ensure that, um, um, that, that, that we, we go the right path here also when investing in disruptive companies. Absolutely, Henning. And that takes me on to, to my, next, my next question. And, and in fact, you know, we, we've, we've discussed this before, and I think that's sort of uh, uh, on, on sort of the, the tip of the, the lips on, or on the mind of everyone these days is everybody's claiming to do uh, ESG these days, right? And so how do you integrate uh, ESG and, well, how do you do ESG rather? And how do you integrate it into your investment process? And I also want to mention for our viewers, since SFDR came out on, on the 10th of March, where we had to classify our products, uh, your product is classified as, as Article 8. So already taking those ESG uh, considerations into factor in your investment process. Yes. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, I mean, this is part of the, the DNA in our team that we have looked at ESG and responsible investing for, for decades, so for, for a long time. And uh, we have quite a large uh, resource uh, research platform here uh, in the team. A lot of people uh, doing, doing actually work on the company level. And I think that's what is important for, for kind of an active investor that's, that's, that manages relatively concentrated portfolios like, like we do here. Um, that we get the bottom-up view. That's that's very key. The other point is that we don't work in silos. So we, we take the, the ESG analysts in from the idea generation throughout uh, the end of the process, including afterwards the engagement uh, process that filters back into, into the, the decision-making. And um, I think um, it's important to say that we, we don't just look at, ex at external ratings. That's, of course, part of our information sources. But uh, we have actually developed our own platform in terms of uh, uh, getting all the ESG data in one place and then um, um, basically improving the, the data by our bottom up, our um, basically um, manual research uh, while we engage and, and uh, communicate with companies. Um, and, and this is, is leading to, uh, to, to, to quite good outcomes. Important for us when we um, when we try to boil it down into the valuation, we um, look at the critical issues uh, together with our ESG analysts, and we try to translate them into, of course, cash flows if possible. But often it's not possible to do that. So then we um, we actually implemented in our discounted cash flow valuation by fading returns. So the way we um, uh, allow the company to earn uh, sustainable returns in the future is impacted by our um, view on uh, their ESG uh, quality, so to say. And, and, and I think here we have, uh, we have developed quite some experience um, as a result of, of that whole process where really a lot of people are involved or can be involved, the more uh, issues there are, um, you get a, a, a strategy in the disruptive uh, universe that has a strong sustainability tilt. 
And I think maybe coming back to that Netflix example, that's a good example of also that um, actually some of these or many of disruptive trends, they might sound sometimes also negative because of course Blockbuster is losing some employees, but the positive sides here, for example, on the environmental front. So think about all the energy uh, savings by uh, by the stores that are that are that don't consume energy. Think about all the kilometers driven avoided by by people not picking up DVDs, but instead uh, uh, using the cloud delivery model. And and I think this is this is showing that um, from our perspective, we try to. Um, basically split the universe into disruptive companies that have a sustainability impact, a positive sustainability in impact, and the ones that might not have it. And there we take quite also tough discussions with our ESG analysts on companies like Uber and Airbnb and, um, and so on, because of course there are negative issues as well. And it's important for us that we in our product uh, try to um, uh, make a positive uh, uh, impact here. Uh, absolutely. And it's also fantastic to see, obviously, that, that true uh, integration between the investment team and the ESG team working uh, together. And it's uh, two fantastic teams uh, that are managing uh, uh, quite a lot of exciting uh, solutions these days. Uh, but maybe I'll turn my attention now to uh, Sunil, uh, since you, you've been uh, now uh, having a, 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 hopefully you've been having a little espresso or a coffee in the, in the meantime. <laughs> uh, but, you know, obviously, we, we've, we've done a lot of, you know, uh, you know, talk about the investment process, philosophy and whatnot. But, you know, I think what would be really nice for our viewers now would maybe if you could show us, uh, go through maybe a company example. Great. Thanks, um, Carlo. I mean, we can talk about um, PayPal, which is a, a company that's owned in our strategy. Uh, you know, Henning went over the clusters and then PayPal sort of sits between our people um, and technology cluster with, and in, the, in our fintech theme. Um, and in our view, PayPal um, is a company with very long-term disruptive potential. Uh, we believe that's underestimated by the market. So PayPal is, you know, this year it should do, you know, let's call it close to a trillion dollar of transaction volume on the platform. And the addressable market here is, you know, about a hundred trillion. So it's very early um, in, in terms of penetration in our view. And then we believe that, you know, the growth of PayPal is sustainable, you know, more than the market thinks. So we don't think that this is correctly priced. Um, and from an ESG, we think the fundamentals are quite solid. And then from an ESG perspective, you know, we believe that PayPal is driving inclusion and financial health, not just for the rich and the fluent, but for everybody on one hand. And on the other hand, uh, PayPal is also enabling, you know, small businesses, um, you know, which, you know, couldn't uh, during the pandemic uh, serve, you know, offline. It's enabling them uh, to go online. So quite a positive, um, you know, ESG impact as well. And generally, we believe that, you know, we have quite a, you know, solid expectations gap uh, in this company. And, and it's, a, it's a stock that we continue to own. Very good. And, and I feel like not only am I a good uh, possible investor of your strategy, but I'm definitely a consumer of a lot of the uh, uh, stock uh, examples that you've done. So uh, well, well done, both of you. But uh, perhaps now to, to bring a, a, a close to, to this uh, really uh, interesting, I'd say, and, and disruptive uh, session. Uh, could you please maybe just give us sort of what, what you think your key differentiators or your key takeaways that, that our viewers could take this morning back with them? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Carlos. I think at the end of the day, I mean, this um, strategy is investing uh, in companies that are not just benefiting, but also enabling long-term megatrends 
uh, and that in it, that results in a more innovative and sustainable society. And that's really the key. It's not a tech. It's not a tech strategy. It's going across different sectors and globally, both developed and emerging markets. And it's supported by our, you know, very detailed bottoms-up fundamental analysis and ESG teams. Um, and that's why uh, we think that this, you know, this should generate long-term sustainable returns uh, for our investors. Well, thank you both to Sunil and Henning for joining us this morning. Uh, guys, it was a pleasure. Hopefully we'll see you uh, in the near future again so you can give us a little bit update of what's going on in, in the disruptive uh, world. And uh, we wish you a really great day. So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Would be nice. Thanks, Carlo. Next week, we will have the portfolio managers of Nordea's newly launched Global Green Bond Strategy. As always, you can check out the latest videos and podcasts on the NordeaAssetManagement.com website or wherever you get your local Nordea information. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you and goodbye.